My argument is if that does not guarantee a first team uh, or all Canadian status, then Malcolm Busey should not be a first team all Canadian. He should be second team. And JP Simbikinda should have been that second first team all Canadian running back. Hello and welcome to At the 55, your home for OUA football. My friends, the time has come. The day is here. The OUA and the U Sports season has come to a close, and it could not have closed on a better note with a absolutely fantastic Vanier Cup that we were all tuned into yesterday, myself being live. And I'm so excited to talk about that experience because, well, if you've been listening to our pods the last few weeks, I've been weeks I've been very uh, unsettled about just how Western has packed that place and shout out to the Saskatchewan and Quebec City communities for coming out and it was an awesome time and to Western for putting on a show we have so many things we need to get to before we can even get to that game um, but let's start off as we always do with a few just opening thoughts off the jump Nate how was your Vanier Cup watching experience uh, it was fantastic you know I'm I'm hung over this morning and it's not like you know King West, Ossington hungover. I'm hungover from, from a great season of football, man. Um, and it's, you know, I just feel bad that that it, it's over. You know what I mean? But it's shedding a tear because I'm happy that it happened. And, you know, I feel like yesterday was such a, a great culmination of the, se- the season in general. And, you know, I, I'm sure as you guys will agree, I think production value and and really the football and the product that was on display, I think, was, was fantastic for, you know, what we want out of youth sports and the competition. And I think, you know, when you have a game like this on on a Saturday with other college football games and, uh, you know, those are on the background. But I was really gravitate to this game because, you know, for me, it, w- it was 10 out of 10 in terms of, of spectacle and, and you know, what it means and the actual excitingness of the game that we got. I couldn't ask for better. King West Nausington. I know my guy was a Liberty Village man. Okay, I, you're, you're cooler than I thought you were, Nate. You keep surprising me time after time. Tom, how was your experience watching this unbelievable 2022 Vanier Cup? It was just great. You know, I think uh, Nate hit it on that on the head there. Like, even just as a fan of football, this was an incredibly enjoyable game to watch. There was back and forth going out between it. There was emotions riding in the in the game. Uh, came down to a couple of key plays near the end of the fourth quarter with just a few seconds left for Saskatchewan. Like it was just a fantastic game to watch and be a part of. Like um, naturally, I think anybody who is just a football fan in general, whether that's American or Canadian, you just love to see a good quality game. And that's exactly what this was. I loved every second of it. And of course, if you are, if you follow you sports and OUA football solely through tuning into our broadcast and you don't actually watch the games or have any social media for one, God bless you. Secondly, uh, you know, Laval are our 2022 Vanier Cup champions um, and we'll get into the game, but we, we need to start me in particular with, um, you know, uh, we, we need to go back a little bit before we go forward because uh, the MVP of this game was one Kevin Mittal, the wide receiver standout for the Val Rouge or um, who's also our, our, our Heck Creighton Award winner, uh, which means he's the best football player in all of Canada. Um, going back into the uh, way back machine or the not so way back machine to when we were setting up our Vanier Cup, I, you know, mistakenly, uh, you know, I'm a narrative guy, right? I'm all about the stories. And I, and obviously we had a tremendous quarterback battle in this game in Nyus and Desjardins. And I think just that kind of overwhelmed me in 
neglecting to mention Kevin Mittal's name as the actual RCQ MVP, and as a result, Quebec's Heck Crichton nominee um, when we were kind of talking about all things Heck Crichton leading to the Vanier. So once again, my apologies to the fine folks of Quebec, to Kevin Mittal. Uh, obviously, he doesn't need validation from anyone, particularly on an OUA broadcast to validate the uh, a tremendous work that he's done all year long. Um, but let's, let's start there, though, because... You know, we obviously do have our Heck Crichton Award winner in Kevin Mittal, number eight for the Rouge et Or. Also, as I said, the Vanier Cup MVP, uh, not only uh, producing in the receiving game as he does, well, as he did all year long, but also with the uh, Derrick Henry-esque gets the Wildcat sort of formation, direct snap, runs up to the line, and then just boop, back of the end zone to his man for six. Um, as well as 142 yards in the air or, or receiving, I should say. But let's talk about this because, Tom, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording because in addition to the Heck Crichton and the other sort of major U Sports winners, we had the All-Canadian noms uh, or All-Canadian award, awards given out for the best of the best at the you know, first and second team for all positions and then our special teams awards as well. And I have a little game based on the U Sports um, All Canadians that I want to get to momentarily. So uh, we'll, we'll get to there in a second. But what stood out to you the most, Tom, when the All Canadians were released? There's a lot of folks from the Canada West that kind of brought this uh, to my attention. I wholeheartedly agree. I can't believe that, you know, it's one thing for Mason Nias not to win the Heck Crichton, but to not be a first team All Canadian is a little uh, crazy to me. No disrespect to Arnaud Desjardins. The guy played his guts out. He was amazing with it for sure. But do we want to put say that he's better than Mason Nias? Like, it has to come into a, a account as well that you have the heck Crichton receiver on your team as well. So even if you're in a bad scenario, you can just kind of throw it up to your all-star. And not to say that the rest of the receiving core isn't great for Saskatchewan as well, but... I just thought that Mason Nias should have had that first team all Canadian nod. And, and Nada, I want to go to you in a second, but just to, to throw it back to Tom, because the, you know, the, what comes to mind for me was part of the conversation we had about the OUA uh, all-stars and how uh, one uh, young Mr. Taylor Elgersma, um, despite pretty much his whole skill position crew getting all-star nods at some level, didn't even get a second team OUA all-star. And, and, and I, I think that maybe compares in this a little bit. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between being second when maybe you should be first versus not being on the list at all. And it'd be curious to if we were able to see the OUA All-Star ballots and see. I, I, I truly hope that Elgersma was the next quarterback behind, uh, I guess it would have been Duick at second team uh, OUA All-Star, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, d- does that vibe with you in that comparison or like? Because I, I don't know, it's it, that's partly what, what I'm feeling like this, where it's like if your skill position guys are all there, but the quarterback's not, I don't know, it's, it's, it's something's off in that calculus to me. For sure. And I think that uh, for me, one of the the big standouts is that uh, the folks who won their conference as their overall MVP were all first team all Canadians, except for Mason Nias. Mm. And my argument is if that does not guarantee a first team uh, or all Canadian status, then Malcolm Busey should not be a first team all Canadian. He should be second team and JP Simbikinda should have been that second first team all Canadian running back. 
I love this take from you, Tom. I love this energy. I can't get anything uh, to fuel my Sunday morning more than that from you. Nate, what did you think about the all-Canadian list that came out uh, towards the end of this past week? Yeah, I mean, the quarterback's definitely the spiciest position, and uh, I thought it was absolutely hilarious kind of. Um, I mean, you know how it is on Twitter where you don't necessarily follow someone, because, but because someone you follow follows someone, you see tweets and I was getting a lot of Ken West people on my feed talking about how uh, the Eastern bias was coming into play and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, football aside, uh, you know, people out there have some feelings toward uh, toward us in this side of the country. But, you know, especially I feel like they have a, they have a bit of grief here, I feel. I feel like I agree that. You know, being being the Can West MVP uh, should bring with it a certain level of clout that I would I would I would be surprised. I was surprised to see he wasn't first team all Canadian. But at the same time, I feel like to some extent it is splitting hairs a little bit. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, when you look back on this in five years, is Mason Nias going to be like, God damn it, I should have been first team all like at the end of the day? No, they're both all Canadians. They both it could have been either way for me. Um, you know, being an MVP holds some weight for me, but I guess to some voters, that's not the case. Doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, listen, for the OUA or the MVP talk, the All-Canadian talk, the players themselves, for the most part, don't care. It's us as the media that care and want to stir the pot with some stuff here. 100%. Um, but, you know, Nate, you brought up perhaps a an Eastern bias, maybe an OUA bias my take on that is uh, specifically as someone from Toronto, not the GTA, but Toronto. Um, y'all hate us because you ain't us. Um, but this is where I want to get into our little game of the week. Uh, you, you know, we've kind of done variations of the how many, if any, and who. This one's more strictly a how many and where are they from type deal. So we have 54 total all Canadians uh, when you add up the two, the first and the second team, and then the special teams player awards they hand out. So on that subject of maybe there's a certain bias or maybe this lends some support to which conference has the largest depth of talent and if you currently have the U sports all canadians in front of you my friends i please ask you to close those windows uh pen and pencils on your table and nothing else available we're gonna start with this and i'll do my imaginary coin flip in my head and i'm gonna give nate the first shot at this rank in terms of conference in terms of representation representation by conference who you think had the most to the least all Canadians coming out of their conference. So four conferences who had the first, second, third, and fourth. I feel confident I'm going to get this wrong, but what stood out to me a lot when the awards were were released, where we had a head crane from Quebec and we had the defensive player of the year from Quebec. And then we had lineman of the year from Can West. There wasn't really uh coach of the year. Wasn't from the OUA, not a lot of OUA representation, on that awards list. So that makes me think a little bit. Um, it felt like it was a big year for Quebec. You know, I, I'm i going to say Quebec first. And, you know, maybe that's not right because I feel like it just could easily be the OUA. But I'm going to go Quebec first. I'm going to go Can West second and then OUA third and then AUS fourth. Okay. So just once again, Nate's going RCQ, Can West, OUA, and AUS. Tom? How are you ranking these conferences? Representation by all Canadian candidates. I feel I so 
obviously the what Nate said about the award major award winners is right. I feel like while it shouldn't be political, shouldn't be biased, if you're going to give major award winners to certain conferences and not to other conferences, you kind of backtrack that by giving them all Canadian nods. So I'm going to say number one was the OUA. Number two was Can West. Number three was the RSEQ. And number four, the AUS. Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom, my dear. To quote uh, one of my favorite movies, Inglorious Bastards, that's a bingo. It does, in <laughs> fact, go OUA, Can West, RCQ, AUS to the tune of 22 all Canadians from the OUA, 16 from Can West, quickly followed behind with 15 from the RCQ. And, um, and maybe- let's not forget, mm-hmm. OUA does have the most amount of teams. So that does, that should play a factor. Fair. It's worth um, mentioning. No, no, absolutely valid. Um, and then, and then Malcolm Busey. <laughs> but shout out to Gary Waterman. Um, so, okay, 22 all Canadians from the OUA. Let's go into part two of this. Um, and all, am I going to give you a hint as to, let me see, how do we want to do this? How do we want to do this? Okay, so we have 22 all Canadians from the OUA. I want you both to take a guess at how many OUA teams represent or make up those seven or those 22 um, teams there. I'll give Tom first shot at this here. How many OUA teams comprise those 22 All-Canadians? Well, like I said on the previous podcast, I do the the best work when I can talk things out loud. So obviously we're going to have some representation from Western and from Queens. Um, I'm thinking that Ottawa... uh, I'm going to say... We had five different teams. And you know what? I like where you were going at with this as well. So you said Western Queens, Ottawa. Name the two other teams you think made the list then. Let's let's push us to that level. <laughs> so the other two teams that I think were on there were um, Laurier. I think they had somebody. And I think it was, uh, I'm going to say, I can't even I can't even think of the names right now. I'm going to say Windsor. Okay, so I'm going with Windsor there. Okay, uh, Nate, how many OUA teams do you think were represented in the uh, 22 All Canadians? And can you name those teams you think made it? Let's just say let's just start. I'll just start with saying it. I know Queens is in. I know Western's in. I know Ottawa's in. I know Laurier's in. I know York. Is in, yeah. Shit. York is in. Um, the sixth, six for me is I can't remember if Mastro Giuseppe mm. made it in there at punter. So but that's where I'm at. But is your sixth? So so you're saying six though, because you've named five teams and you're thinking it's six. I'm going until I stop. <laughs> my fault. <laughs> I'm still racking my brain here. Um. But I feel, I think, yeah, I think six. I'm trying. Yeah, let's go with six. And who, so are you going to say U of T? And and I think it was uh, Giuseppe? Yeah. Okay, so we'll go with U of T and Giuseppe. Okay. Um, Well, Nate, you were correcting it being six teams. The teams represented, though, however, were Western, Queens, Ottawa, York, Laurier. 
Now this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. The griffin that falls will live. The griffin that doesn't will die. It was the Guelph Griffins with two all-Canadian nods on this. I only have just the list starting with the first team all the way through the second team. That I'll just read through, so not in order of the teams themselves, but we had Keon Edwards, of course, first team at running back, Savon Magne-Jones, first team receiver, um, Elliot Beamer, first team center, um, and Philip Grahovic, first team guard, of course, all those individuals, all from Western on the first team offense, first team defense, we had Silas Hubert at the end, we had James Peter, uh, linebacker from Ottawa, Daniel Valente from Western at safety, Ashton Miller, Melanchon from uh, Queens, and then Simran Harrison Bagiogo at corner, which I think makes back to back first team all Canadians for Bagiogo, um, which is pretty stellar um, to say the least. Um, and on specials, we had Tyler Mullen, kicker punter from Queens, um, as a rookie making it, which is unfreaking believable. And as Nate highlighted, Alfred Olay as the returner from York. Shout out to Alfred Olay, but like it still needs to be highlighted. Just, you know, his yardage is so incredible, but maybe we should factor in attempts. But, you know, that's nothing to do with Alfred. That's a York problem writ large. Um, You know, shout out to Chris McLean as well. Kicking at Calgary, former kicker uh, from the UFT Blues. Moving into the second team's. We had uh, J.P. Simonkinda running back from Ottawa that Tom's arguing should have been a first-team um, All-Canadian. Richard Burton from the Queens Golden Gales at receiver. Uh, Ethan Jordan from the Laurier Golden Hawks at receiver. Zach Fry at tackle from the Western Mustangs. Um, Evan Florin at guard from the Queens Golden Gales on defense. Second-team Darian Newell, uh, defensive tackle from Queens. Scott Murray uh, at DN from Guelph. Uh, Emmanuel abogia Gian from uh, Ottawa at linebacker. Uh, Rob Panabaker, DB from Western, uh, my guy Kevin Victome at corner from Ottawa, and then rounding out the 22 uh, OUA All-Canadians, we had Dawson Hodge uh, at uh, punter, punting from Laurier. So those are your uh, U Sports All-Canadians and the representation coming out of the OUA. Um, but of course, this is all about this tremendous Vanier Cup that we had, and you know, let's start by saying this. Uh, we went with the dogs across the board. Nate, you want to give me a little barking again, please? And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and while we were wrong in our picks, even though maybe we were just picking them to cover, we didn't maybe specify a little. Uh, and shout out to Sask for doing just that. We weren't wrong in this regard because I, I was talking with someone about us picking Sask and, and they kind of gave me like a, a scrunched up face. Like, really? It's like, here's the thing. And I think we were kind of in lockstep with this based on like what we'd seen. And obviously we're OUA guys and we didn't you know dive into the tape of a full season of, of RCQ or Can West football, but these seemed like evenly matched teams. And it seemed like it had all the makings for a perfectly fair fight. And if it's a fair fight and they're evenly matched teams, that means anyone can win. And we decided to roll with the narrative coming out of Saskatchewan. Nate, you shout out, you know, sort of Mason Nye kind of like the, the last hurrah didn't win it last year. Didn't win a heck all these things. Um, and when we look at the production from these teams, obviously both teams showed out in their semifinal matchups just how effective they can run the ball if need be. But let's just start with the quarterbacks, and I'll pass to you, Nate, as our resident quarterback from the, the victorious Laval Rougier. And I guess I should do what I usually do uh, to start off these breakdowns. Final score in this game, Laval 30, Saskatchewan 24. Arnaud Desjardins, quarterback for the Laval Rougier, 27 of 36, 397 yards. 
Now, of course, there was one passing touchdown for Laval thrown in this game, and it wasn't by him. It was by his heck Creighton winning uh, wide receiver in Kevin Mittal. And on the flip side, Mason Nias, 34 for 43, 344 yards, three touchdowns. And of course, as we'll certainly get into, the only turnover of the game, which was by no means his fault uh, with the one interception. Nate, I'll pass it to you. We obviously talked about how it's been a while not too long, but it's been a while since we've had quarterbacks playing in the OUA with this type of production. And I can't think off the top of my head. Maybe it was a Trey Ford, Chris Merchant matchup from a few years back where we saw just two QBs dueling it out to this extent. But for a game played here in Ontario at Western Alumni Stadium here in London, Ontario, um, this was pretty spectacular to see because, you know, we I keep going back to what you mentioned about the OUA being like the SEC of sorts of uh uh, you sports uh, it was kind of refreshing I mean it was a beautiful day uh, to say the least getting to be like oh yeah here we go these teams are moving the ball down the field um, this must have been a beautiful game for you to watch seeing these two incredible quarterbacks with their plethora of skilled uh, skilled players just dueling it out all game long yeah and I mean watching OUA football all year you know no disrespect to OUA football everyone has uh, their own preference in terms of, of flavor and things like that. But this was really my kind of flavor of football game. And really to me, you know, as someone who keeps it on the CFL, this was more kind of reminiscent of like a CFL game. You know what I mean? There's no, uh, we're not watching guys running power and pulling guards for 60 minutes, like uh, in the Yates cup. You know what I mean? This is a completely different style of football for both teams. So for me, you know, something I really enjoyed and just, you know, to see both of these teams executing on such a high level, I mean, we've seen all year in the OUA. This is not like easily accomplished kind of the the level of execution that's coming for both of these offenses and be able to complete a passes as efficiently as they are, um, but also making big plays down the field. And I think, you know, these are two really elite units in terms of quarterback, not only quarterbacks, but the receivers. And on both sides, it's not really like, you know, it was just Mattel and uh, Vavra or whatever. Like, no, no, no. There's like several different guys catching the ball. Really, you know, each time it was a different number. There's no one you could really key in on. So from that, it was kind of, it was a very exciting game. And I think one thing for me coming out of it was um, I would just be so fascinated to compare the tape from this game to the tape from the Western game. And yes, with the OUA podcast, I have to bring up the Western game, but the performance from Kevin Mittal and someone who was not the center of attention, let's say last week, um, and I just wonder what Western did, if it was, you know, they had some magnificent plan or something, or maybe he just wasn't the focus for that Laval offense last week, because this week he made absolute certain without a doubt that he was the head Creighton trophy winner with his performance. So, you know, I think that, you know, was a huge key on the day was, was his performance and really dominance all around. Yeah. And, and, and what was interesting too, once going, once again, comparing to that Mitchell bowl was, um, as effective as West, pardon me, Laval wasn't moving the ball downfield, they didn't really have many explosive plays um, going over the middle or anything sort of big chunkers downfield. And we saw a couple of those plays. I mean, Mattel with the long of 48 um, over the middle, um, like just dra- man draped all over him, which was pretty stellar. And a couple uh, other really nice catches along the sideline. Tom, going into the semifinals, um, we clearly erroneously labeled the Mitchell Bowl as the true Vanier Cup. And once again, my sincerest of apologies to the people of 
Saskatchewan. Um, and, and, and that like, also is hilarious that you said that and then proceeded to pick Saskatchewan the next week. So give yourself a bit of credit for turn, <laughs> yeah. turn around pretty quick on that. You know, maybe one day we'll expand our content and have a better sort of you know, purview of all sort of the conferences or once again, I, I do want to get the C to C rocking uh, for next year, if only just so I can just listen to a podcast once a week and kind of have a bit of insights into that, even though, of course, there are other uh, media companies like our guy, uh, what our guy Deshaun's doing. And we should probably talk about him because though I was live at the game, I certainly was seeing all the accolades thrown his way for what he was doing on that broadcast. But Tom, um, like this was. I'm probably forgetting about some week four game coming out of can West or the RCQ. That was a great matchup. And we saw great matchups in the OUA all year long. Like this is how you end a season with this type of a game. What were just your overall thoughts, the way that these teams played the games that we kind of expected them to based on the quarterbacks and the talent that they have. And, and, and when they did need to run the ball too, I mean, we talked about the game Riker Frank had, but Ted, Ted Gabongo having a really nice, you know, the two carries for 65 Maganda having um, a nice day with 19 for 76 as well on the ground. I mean, just talking. And I think Nate hit on the head of like, this felt like more of a CFL game than a U sports game. Just two teams playing their best games going up against each other. Um, what what do you what do you want to say about this matchup? It's a great thing that the most enjoyable game of the year was the last one. There's been a few times in recent memories where, you know, a really competitive OUA regular season match or maybe even a Yates Cup has been more uh, exciting than a Banyard in certain times where there's been, you know, uh, either disparity or certainly a semifinal, but this entire uh, championship run from the Yates Cup all the way up to the Vanier have just been fantastic in terms of the quality itself. You know, obviously people can look back at some of the scores and be like, oh, like Queens Western, like that game was uh, out of proportion, like whatever. But it was it was like right tie game at halftime and then Western pulled away in the second half and like tie game with uh, St. FX and uh, Saskatchewan. And then Saskatchewan comes within four points of actually winning this one. And you're like, well, how good is St. FX? Because St. FX hang with some of the other, like, maybe not the top tier, but like some of the other, like the Queenses of the world or whatever else. Could they at least be in that same picture? And then you start to think like, hey, like maybe some other things are going. So I, I really enjoyed just the overall playoff picture that we had this year. The game itself was fantastic. Nate hit it on the head. It was more, more so like a CFL game. I was surprised from Saskatchewan to see how committed they were to try to get Riker Frank going. And he did rip off a big 44 yard run, which was uh, electric. He was able to convert a third down, which was amazing to help sustain a drive that they really need to, to score some points on. But like you can see 12 attempts, which isn't crazy by any means, 65 yards total, but you have to remember that 44 yard gain that he had. Other than that, you have what 11 attempts for 21 yards. So I know that you have to try to keep Laval honest and make sure that you're, you're not just, you know, sitting, sitting back, waiting to pick something off or waiting to do whatever. But uh, it was just surprising to me how much they were trying to go in to Riker Frank and to only see Ted Cabongo get two carries. Now his two carries were for 65 yards. He obviously ripped off a big one as well, but um, just a little bit of, of a surprise there in, in that sense. But Mason Nias was just really impressive with the stuff that he was doing, running around the pocket, finding guys. You know, we had 
seen a few of these guys in uh, particular, uh, Daniel Weeb really go off on the Santa FX game and through listening to a few other, uh, uh, platforms as well, and, and including Deshaun with his Persevere podcast, which is fantastic. Um, I heard that, you know, Daniel Perry was supposed to be one of his favorite guys as well for, on that Saskatchewan offense. And then to see guy like Rhett Varva go off and was one of the fastest dudes on the field with a huge punt return and, and everything that he was doing, it was just, it was just overall incredibly exciting. And I just, I love the game. Yeah. And, and you know, just talking about the, well, actually, first you, you mentioning like it'd be cool to see, and this is where you know once again the call for more interconference games, even if it's preseason or whatever, would just be so spectacular. Maybe we can set up an Ottawa Santa FX game winner gets first team uh, uh, all Canadian running back. <laughs> um, you know, and, and just as, as the uh, the comparisons of these teams as far as what they did in this game are, are run so deep. I mean, total offense Laval five oh six, Saskatchewan four sixty nine. Time of possession, Laval 29-46, Saskatchewan 30-14. And like we said, um, just one turnover on the game. But it, it, it was clearly the most monumental play. And, and Nate, you know, when looking I, I at... Have I'm a curious, I have a question. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Please, yeah. Was, was that turnover the game for you guys? Well, not in the, in the moment, no. Because there was so much time left. It was a... I think it was only seven point score. Laval got the the three, and then you know, there was still a lot of time left. Looking back on it, though, I think it's like wow, they were what within the fifteen. Great chance it hits the receiver in the hands. I'll let Tom answer that, but I do want to kind of get a bit of your take on it because, frankly, like whether that was the game or not, it wasn't the only time we were seeing some of these Saskatchewan receivers as great as they performed on the whole have to make a few circus catches, which was entertaining, but like. Hey man, like just just bring that thing on the first go. Uh, I guess I'll let Tom speak on Nate's question, but then Nate, I want you to kind of talk about what was must have been as a quarterback watching this game. Be like, just hey, if for the sort of layman fans watching it, being like, wow, look at all these circus catches. But it's like, man, just reel those in because after a while, if you have too many of those bobbled catches, it's a law. You think a law of numbers. After a certain point, it's not going to work out for you, and it clearly didn't in that. But Tom, to Nate's question, like, did you feel like that was the ball game or do you sort of see it the way I did where looking back, it's like clearly at the moment it wasn't. But in hindsight, that was just a blown opportunity, which, you know, to quote the great Tim McAuliffe, nobody lost. We just ran out of time. Oh, I love the Tim McAuliffe quotes in there. Well done, Mr. Bader Shammai. Um, In terms of that question, uh, in this case, I have actual proof from our text conversations uh, saying that directly after that interception is done, I said, I think that's game. To which one of our other uh, folks who is in that conversation and is not on this podcast decided to refute me a little bit, but ended up coming out right. Uh, Just with the style of the play here, if both either one of these teams failed to score on an ensuing score from another team. It was just like two heavyweights. And if you didn't get another haymaker one after the other, you were just going to fall behind. And that's kind of exactly what happened here. I think that play, obviously hindsight's 2020, whatever, but that play, it maybe not of, won them but it certainly would have kept them into the game and not to say that they were out of it but like now suddenly Laval is the one having to put together the last minute drive and and try to focus and go forward from there because right after that Laval took the ball over and they they were just running the ball trying to you know eat up as much clock as they possibly could so if they get that touchdown we potentially have a little bit more of 
scoring throughout the rest of the fourth quarter as well. But yes, I uh, I think that that was game. Well, Nina, I, I would love for you to then, <clears throat> pardon me, um, answer your own question in that regard, but then also kind of to sort of where I was, um, you know, leading with it as well. Like, what did you make seeing so many of these bobbled catches as spectacular as they were? And just with that thought maybe of like, this is cool, but man, oh man, are you pushing your luck? Yeah, but I think also like those were not exactly 100% easy catches. The one that sticks out to me in particular is the corner ball that kind of uh, was bobbling caught. But the Laval guy was literally right on top of him as as he caught it. You know what I mean? So to some extent, I think, you know, they did gain a lot from, from those plays. And it, it truly like... To me, it showed kind of the the kitchen, you're throwing the kitchen sink at this game and the air of desperation kind of about the Saskatchewan offense because, you know, those are really tight throws that maybe, you know what, you don't make if you're not down 10 points, for example. But I think at that point in the game, that was, you know, had to be done. And I think that pass in the end zone was high. It You know, it was not a, a pure bread and butter catch, you know, and – there was a guy in, in Nice's face that I can understand, you know, the wanting to get the ball up and down quickly. And it just it didn't come down for him, um, unfortunately. And that's that is like in a game like this, those are the moments. You know what I mean? There are gonna be other moments. My other favorite moment, um, the uh third down coming up a yard short, mm. catching the ball and taking the step backwards. He went backwards. He stepped backwards. Shout out Mark Lee on the call. That was an electric moment. <laughs> I love that so much. But it was like, oh man. I mean, that's but that's that's what makes it a great game is those those moments where you're on the edge of your seat and it can go either way. And you know what? At the end of the day, Laval was a team that was, you know, finished all their drives basically. It was either a touchdown or five field goals they kicked. You know what I mean? They didn't have a pick in the end zone. The margin of victory is six points. I don't know what else you could say. So, well, let's look at this then, because going into that fourth, we have a twenty to seventeen game for Laval and, and like tie game at the half. Like, what more do you want? Once again, like I don't know how we can frame it with any more superlatives. Just how spectacular this game was. Like, I I would in a heartbeat like just. Re, like go back in time and just watch it again from the start. I mean, obviously we can't. I assume it's archived somewhere with the CBC um, covering it and everything like that. But so Laval by three going to the fourth, and they're in the midst of the drive that culminates in the Kevin Metal doing his best, uh, uh, Derek Henry impression, getting that touchdown, and at that point, thirteen oh four left in the game and plenty of time for a ten point score. And I thought it was so impressive by Sask right after that because he talked about, I don't know. I mean, if there's one thing we can say about Laval. They're not short on swagger and confidence. <laughs> and if there's no one, if, if no one else ever believed in them, uh, they certainly believe in themselves. And then for Mason to lead this drive where they start at their own 18 and get it down to Laval's six leading to that interception. And I'll, I take you know every word you say as gospel in terms of how those balls were thrown and everything like that. But what to me ultimately is just so impressive, and <clears throat> Tom, I'll pass this back to you, is that, 
you have this Kevin Mittal uh, wildcat formation touchdown pass 10 point lead Mason leads this drive being like we're not phased like you talk about the idea of the haymakers going back to back it was kind of like a staring contest who's gonna blink first and honestly neither one did in my eyes once again we just ran out of time leads this drive down then they're able to stop Laval on the next drive then they get the ball back they go score a touchdown and then they keep them to the like how impressed were you with just Saskatchewan, we talked about this coming out of the semis, how both of these teams, though perhaps Laval's slightly more impressive in overcoming Western, um, both these teams did come back in those games. And for Sask and, and, and sitting on the sideline nearest to their bench, like at no point did you get a sense that like the game was not over until those clocks hit zeros, until Laval was in their uh, victory formation with Desjardins kneeling the clock out. Yeah, and I think that comes back to experience, right? Certainly Mason Nye is a fifth-year quarterback, but he's been in those scenarios before. Last year, having to come back against Montreal and leading that game-winning drive to go to the Vanier Cup. Like, when you have not only players, but coaches, if you're on the sidelines as a player and you're like, oh, wow, like, it's Laval in the Vanier Cup and we're down 10 points – but you see your head coach and he is calm, cool, collected, no sense of worry as a player that completely just boosts your confidence to be like, if my coach thinks that we can do this, I think we can do this as well. All I have to do is my job and we're doing just fine. If you can see a coach who obviously has not been in a scenario like this and they're frantically looking at their plays or they're talking a lot or, you know, they just have that body language there that affects the team. Certainly. So the coaching staff for Saskatchewan, I think did a great job making sure that everybody stayed dialed in. And obviously that comes back to the leadership on the field as well with Mason Nias and the rest of those guys. But yeah, there was, even when that happened and they were down by 10 points Seeing how well Saskatchewan had consistently moved the ball against Laval was even as a, a watcher, I was like, you know what? They're not out of this. Like they, they could easily come back and they could score a touchdown here. And then it, just like you said, they go from their own 18 and they move the ball down the field against a Laval defense. And, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a couple of times where Mason Nias had to kind of scramble around, but like maybe f- three, four, five times that protection that he got all game was outstanding. Not a lot of those Laval guys got a sniff into him until obviously one of the last plays, which ultimately spelled the game. But for the most part, that pass protection was fantastic. Uh, Saskatchewan really did their thing. And um, so same thing with Laval. Obviously only having a a standard three-man rush, you're not going to get home a lot unless you're blitzing and twisting and things of that nature. But I don't think Desjardins really had to take any risks with himself. He was pretty calm and collected in that pocket, just picking apart that Saskatchewan defense. Yeah, and, and I'm, such a oh, huge sorry, go ahead. Thing, yeah, such a huge thing, too, for quarterbacks is, like, the problem is not necessarily when one guy gets through. Because if just, if just one guy gets through and I have a clean pocket, the reality is if I'm, if I'm the guy in the Vanier Cup, I should be able to make it work. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's something we saw time and time again. It was so impressive to see these guys be so composed and maneuver the pocket, you know, not guys that were going to take off, but extend and extend and extend and find the guy. Um, and, you know, to see that is, is, is such high quality play and, you know, rated very highly for both those guys. It made the game that much more exciting. 
Yeah, and, and I'm happy, Tom, you brought up Laval as far as the clean pocket they are providing for Desjardins because while well, you're right, you know, if you're just bringing a three-man rush, that that's not always going to, you know, um, put that QB under fire per se. But as we talked about, as you had highlighted how effectively uh, Montreal and obviously seeing them get the stand-up defensive player um, of the year award uh, to uh, one of their dudes, um, clearly they're just pretty talented on that side of the ball to begin with. But that teams, if only just Montreal, but nonetheless, teams that had success getting after Desjardins, bringing pressure from the linebacker position and from what we saw from the UTEC looked like, okay, maybe Sask's going to roll some three-man fronts, but they're still going to bring some pressure, maybe bring a five- or a six-man pressure out of a four-down front as well. But across the board, they really picked it picked up really well. And whether it was just hoping for that comeback or that opportunity for Nice to have a shot at the end zone, a true shot at the end zone down the stretch, or just as a former offensive lineman, but on what looked like just a four-man rush with a pretty simple field end tackle twist, uh, getting that pressure at the end, I was like, dog, man, Huskies, you were so good all game long and on that pro. Can I ask, like, you guys as linemen, you know, because Saskatchewan was in a situation for a while there coming out of that 10-point deficit where, you know, they, they weren't running the ball anymore. So when you're dropping back for, like, an entire quarter straight, how much do you think, like, fatigue would have played in the kind of, you know, that, that leakage, let's say, on the last drive? There's a certain level of certainly, hey, the defense knows that you're passing and they're going to come and whatever else, but also like, you know, that you're passing and you know that there's going to be stunts. There's going to be blitzes. If I'm you know, confident in the Saskatchewan coaching staff, that offensive line was drilled with every single kind of pass rush scenario. For sure, linebacker blitzes, twists if they were there, probably seven man up uh, potential pressure, 50 fronts, everything. They would have gone through every kind of scenario. And ultimately, it came down to obviously the um, the defense for Laval was fantastic. You're in a Vanier Cup for a reason, but it was like, like Zach said, that's a pretty basic twist, a kind of combination to, to block. Certainly, it's the fourth quarter. It's one of the last plays of the game. You've gone through like 70 or so plays. So there's definitely some fatigue in there. But man, if there's ever a time to lay out and do whatever you can, it's with 30 seconds left in the Vanier Cup. And no doubt at that point, I'd have to imagine that like adrenaline is is greater than fatigue. I mean, going back to maybe not our first matchup, uh, Tom, but the uh, 2014 Yates that you were victorious in, I slid into center after Nesbitt, uh, Matt Nesbitt, that is, uh, had a high ankle sprain. And towards the end of the game, I ended up partially separating my left shoulder. But I think I had three drives left in me, and I didn't really realize how bad it was to wear in the locker room. And my good friend and and someone I know you know very well, Tom and Steve Murnumwe, literally had to take my shoulder pads with me because I couldn't raise my arm over, like, not even to 90 degrees are just sort of parallel to the ground but I saw I made it through three drives so you know it's it's disappointing but I think in that situation you just tip your cap to the defense in making the play yeah you get to pin your ears back and just say hey we're going after the quarterback um and that's why to any defensive players who who, who like to celebrate in in crossover drills especially if you're not in pads when it's just hey we're doing passing downs it's like settle down settle down um I like well, how that made its way in there 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, some unburied. I mean, I guess. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, hanging in there by a thread. Uh, no, 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 no shade of the, uh, defensive linemen. Linebackers suck for sure. But D linemen, <laughs> I got love for. Um, I know we're slightly up against time because uh, I, I know some of us are interested in in the in the Canada. You know, talk a, a little real football coming up uh, with the the World Cup action. So I'll I'll just pass it back to both of you for any last thoughts on this game and uh, sort of any final thoughts on our on, on what was a great U-Sports season and, and, and you know, we talk so much about different types of bias coming up in these awards and things and, and Nate you kind of highlighted this um, there is a bias that us as humans are very privy to that doesn't matter how good or bad the show is if it ends on a high or a low note that's how we're going to remember it and this was as if we've if we've yet to make this clear, this was as high a note as you could end the U Sports season on. Um, and I'll say as well, once again, I kind of set this up. Um, you know, shout out to the fans that came out from the two respective uh, fan bases, and uh, it was just an overall a great uh, show put on by Western. And um, just being there, I can only imagine what that would have been like had uh, the Purple Ponies made it. Um, I did hear um, a, a, a kind individual who saw me wearing this lovely Vanya Cup sweater I'm donning today when I was at Home Depot this morning uh, saying apparently Western put a bid in to get it back for 2025, um, which would be amazing. Um, so once again, despite my trepidation of thinking that that place wouldn't be rocking, it was rocking and it was awesome. So, Nate, I'll go to you. Final thoughts. Um on just the game itself or as we move into the off season and um, what excitement you might have for what's next to come. You know, as a, as a man who studied a little bit of business in my day, um, I feel confident saying that this is a great product and, you know, it's, it's beating a dead horse. We all say it, you know, every week on this podcast, I see it on Twitter so often, but um, you know, Got to give the product a bit more credit, whether it's CFL or U-Sports. This is great football. You know what I mean? I'm really excited in terms of where the game's headed and how things have improved, even since I played the amount of parity that's, you know, I mean, we saw it in the OUA this year. Um, and the same goes across the different conferences and things like that. So, um, you know, just very grateful for that. Grateful for the season. Grateful for my friends on the podcast. You know, always a great Aww. time. Chopping it up with you guys. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, like I said, I'm feeling a bit hungover and uh, I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to kind of uh, seeing what's next for these programs because this season just ended. But uh, the best thing about it is there's still a whole bunch of new questions for us to get after uh, coming very soon. So stay tuned for that. I think coming off American Thanksgiving, that theme of gratitude is is a, is a lovely uh, way to sort of take your final thoughts on that. Um, Tom, um I mean, Nate's got me near tearing up from that and you being just the big old teddy bear you are. I, I got to go grab some tissues um, before I even think about what you're going to say. But sort of final thoughts on on the Vanny and on the uh, fantastic 2022 uh, football season we were we we received. Yeah, the one thing that I did want to kind of go over, especially being at home and watching the game. CBC Sports did a phenomenal job covering the Vanier Cup. Multiple camera angles, certain cameras who were just focused in on Kevin Mittal. So it wasn't like he made a catch and you just saw the tail end of it. They showed his entire route, how he was going up against Saskatchewan defenders and the unbelievable catches that he was making on both sides of the ball, which was as a football nut, oh, chef's kiss. 
I loved seeing that. The coverage that they had, obviously Mark Lee and Deshaun did a great job in, in uh, calling the game as well. So from a production standpoint, I was so appreciative of the quality that we saw here. And hopefully that means that CBC can be a little bit more uh, involved in some of our games as well. Ideally doing like the, the ultimate goal is obviously to get back to where the score was with the university rush and the one highlighted game per week at the very least, but we'll see what we can get for right now. Very thankful for that. Um, the season itself was just outstanding. Being able to, to cover Canadian university football has been a, a bit of a dream of mine. So really can't thank you guys enough for, for having me on the pod this year. And I, Cannot wait to continue doing some stuff with you guys in the offseason. I can tell all of our listeners that there's absolutely going to be some offseason content here. Um, and to definitely stay tuned if you want to see a little bit more Canadian University football, even though there's no season going on. Uh, great last words. Nate, did you have anything left uh, you want to jump in with there? Just uh, going off time, man. Follow your dreams, kids, because they do come true. They do come true. Because here, your turn, the, Zach. It's your turn, here, Zach. Because here, the three of us are sitting on a Zoom meeting, chopping it up on an OUA podcast. Our dreams have literally come true. I, I, I had nothing to say that both of you didn't cover. Gratitude and thankfulness uh, are uh, very much uh, just pouring through all my thoughts. Um, thankful and great, grateful to both of you for uh, you know where where we've been able to take this brand from a, a little podcast I started with Eddie Meredith uh, five OUA seasons ago. Um, uh, picked up with with our, our friend Dakota Vaughn, uh, taken to a next level and just taken to another level with the additions of of both of you over the last two seasons. Nate and Tom, uh, such a pleasure having you on this year. Uh, absolutely, keep your eyes peeled for some off season content. We probably will take a short break to just sort of figure out what our off season schedule will look like and what that content is going to be um, to all the people that uh, follow our content on Twitter, on Instagram, on the podcast, all that stuff. Um, my immense and deepest thanks to to you all for the support and uh i'm happy that we can provide a product that y- you enjoy and that keeps you informed on everything happening in the oua and to the best that we have been able to do around you sports and as we kind of said that's something uh, i hope we can grow moving into next year we kind of tried our hand at the c2c um content this year and i think we can have a better shot at that next year and and so many more things so um from me and from everyone at the 55 thank you all tom nate thank you both so much so i can't say when we'll be speaking to you next uh, but keep your eyes and ears peeled because we'll be talking to you then at the 55